we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 16 uh, today. In fact, most of our scriptures are going to be found in the book of Proverbs, so we're going to be wandering around there a little bit. And if you have your Bible on your, uh, uh, some device that you might have brought in or you brought it in physically, or if you'd like one, in just a moment, as soon as the ushers are done taking it off, and they're going to offer one to you. So just get their attention, and we'll be glad to put it in your hand. I want to welcome the folks that are watching on the web uh, today and grateful that you're, um, that you're participating with us. Let us know, if, if you would, uh, you know about your visit. And uh, just looking forward to what God has to say for us today. I want to say thanks to Scott, who preached last week. Uh, good job, buddy, and appreciated that. The only, only problem I got with him, he destroyed my table last week. Uh, apparently after the service, he got uh, lifted it up and it went, and it just disintegrated from what I hear. So I, they, they, I got me a new table, and I don't, I don't know how to act. I don't know, you know, I've had that table for so long, and so uh, we'll, and this one's just kind of a, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> I might just have to stand up the whole time. I don't know. We'll see, see how that goes. I got to be honest, okay, I, we were on a vacation, and I was with my family, with my grandkids, all my kids, and we had an, an amazing time, but I'm kind of still on vacation mode. You know what I mean? It takes a little bit. When you spend those days to kind of decelerate, now it takes a bit to ramp back up, and I think I'm still in that process, all right? So, so have a little patience with me today uh, as, as we, we go forward. I'm looking forward to, uh, to what God has for us. I want to make one just quick uh, announcement that next week uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to meet uh, the consultant that's going to walk with us through our transition process. Uh, we try to keep you in the loop information-wise, and I know uh, Don, uh, Chairman of our Elders, mentioned last week uh, th this fact, but at, uh, on Saturday night, after the Saturday night service, which happens at 5.30, uh, at 7 p.m., uh, Todd Clark, who is our consultant from Slingshot, it's a group that's kind of a, a, an outgrowth of the independent Christian churches, so they're real familiar with our church background. Um, Todd and I have a lot of very mutual friends uh, in the ministry. He's, he's, uh, he's gone down this road and led many churches through this process, so there's a lot of wisdom that's there. We want you to have a chance to meet him, ask questions, and give some input uh, at an open meeting. This is the one open meeting that we'll have for anybody who wants to come or is interested. It'll be at 7 o'clock next uh, Saturday night, okay? So you might mark that down, and it'll be right here in the auditorium right after that service, okay? So uh, today... This is the last of our four messages, the ABCs and D today, all right, of a financial freedom. And uh, we, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 16 and just looking at kind of the book of wisdom. I don't know about, about you guys, but when you go look at God's word, there's so much wisdom that's available there. But I can't think of an area or a topic that requires more wisdom than the area of our finances. Would you agree with that? We need God's wisdom. Uh, we've said this probably every service that we've talked about this, that there's a scripture, in fact, it's in Proverbs, and it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it doesn't work out so well. Uh, <laughs> that's my version, kind of. <laughs> uh, and, and there's probably no area that's more true than, than this area, because we kind of take our path, we make assumptions, we make presumptions, we do things because they were modeled to us that way through our families, for example. We, we have patterns and, and we observe certain you know, principles, things like that, because of what we've seen. And yet, if they're not based upon God's word, sometimes they don't end up so well. And I would imagine that there's more than just a few of us here today that can remember times when we made financial decisions that weren't necessarily wise decisions. Can I hear an amen to that? I heard about two brothers, you know, and they were boiling eggs for Easter, uh, you know, and 
The one brother said to the other, he said, hey, I'll give you $5 if you let me break three eggs over your head. And the other brother said, really? And he said, you promise? And he said, yeah. Uh, so he broke two eggs over his head, and then he, he stopped. And the brother said, well, when's the third egg coming? He says, well, I decided to keep my money. <laughs> Have you ever, you ever had some, it's, I, you know, when I read that this week, I thought, it's funny what, where I went back to, a place where I went back to, and I got to say this out loud, it was before I was a Christian, all right? It was, this was when I was in high school days. And at my high school, they used to let us go across the street. Uh, they, we could go off campus for lunch. And there was an arcade right across from our high school that had filled with pinball machines and pool tables. And there was just a crowd. There'd be a ton of kids that would go over there, you know, during the lunch hour. And I'd go over there pretty regularly. Well, there's this guy at the pool table, and I'm watching him. And he's, he's trying to bank the, the ball, the cue ball, off of the end down here, bank it all the way down to this corner and, and knock a ball into, the, into the, the pocket. And he wasn't even coming close. I mean, he, would, he couldn't even hit the ball, let alone you know, knock it into the pocket. And I watched him do it eight, 10, 12 times, you know, and, I'm just, he's, and he looks at me and says, I'll bet you $5 I can hit that ball into that corner pocket. And so based upon what I'd seen, I thought, that's a pretty good bet. And he put his $5 on the table. I dug in my pocket, and I put $5, and I said, all right, let's see you do it. He picks up the white cue ball, puts it about three inches from the ball, and he knocks it straight into the corner pocket. He never said he was going to bank it into the pocket. Now, isn't that stupid to, to remember something like that from that many years ago? But when you make dumb decisions... <laughs> Sometimes you never forget. Well, hopefully you never forget them, right? Yeah. And when I think about wisdom, there is one place that I know that we can go to particularly, uh, and that is the book of Proverbs. It is the book of wisdom. Uh, Solomon, as you probably know, is not only the wisest, but the wealthiest guy that probably ever lived. And he recorded a lot of these quips of, of wisdom in the pages of Proverbs. They're short. They're kind of poignant. But the truth that is there is, is just a wealth of, of understanding. And that's why he says, pay attention. Pay attention to these words. And these are words that are from God. That's why they're in our scripture. They are, they're they're God-ordained. They're inspired by the Spirit of God. And so I invited you to look at Proverbs chapter 16. And I want you to pay particular uh, close attention. Because the first point, like in your notes that you have in front of you is I want you to see just how clearly that this one truth comes out that the Lord is the one who is in charge and he is the one who is orchestrating everything, everything around us, okay? Look at Proverbs 16, verse 1. We're going to look at the first nine verses. He says, The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in, in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. He, be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. 
You see how many times the word the Lord is there? It is the Lord who's in charge. It's the Lord who's making these things happen. He's talking about our plans, our ways, the, our thoughts, all these things that we come up with. It's not until we surrender them. I love that verse where he says, it's by the fear of the Lord that, that we're able to avoid or turn away from the evil. And it's pretty clear that he makes, makes it that uh, he says better is, is a little with righteousness. In other words, doing things the right way, you'd be better off having just a little than to gain you know, the world, for example, and, and not do it according to God's plans. And so this weekend, as we look at this idea of a decision, I'm going I'm to say right out, out in the front, the decision that we're looking for is that we will commit ourselves to do things God's way, okay, according to his plans. If you're looking at the second point, deciding to do what God says, first of all, it's the right thing to do. That's what the word righteous is derived from, the right thing to do, but it's also the best thing. God, is, God does things for, your, for our good. He designed us. He's the one who made us. He's the one who gave us the instruction manual. And if we'll pay attention to it, we will operate the way that he intended for us. If we go against it, consequently, we're going to find that things don't go well. Okay, that's, it's as simple as that. And so our commitment is to do uh, what God says. Now, the question is, uh, what is God's plan? What does God say about these matters? And what can we learn uh, from uh, his truth and his wisdom? That's what I want to spend just a few minutes on this morning. I want, to, I want to just kind of pick and choose some of these Proverbs that give us some nuggets of wisdom with regards to our finances, about how we operate, how we function, what does God say about, uh, about them across the board. And hopefully, when we come to the conclusion, we say, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to uh, conduct my life and especially in this realm of my life, my financial life, okay? So if we walk through these, uh, again, just kind of, kind of uh, looking over, here's, here's the, one of the first things I think that's interesting that uh, the scripture will allude to is how do we earn the money that we receive? And I would just use one word to describe the general direction. We earn it ethically. We need to earn our money ethically, the right way, okay? There are illegitimate ways, and there are illegitimate uh, ways. There, there is, we don't, obviously, we don't do it illegally. Uh, we don't do it by cheating. Uh, we don't do it by fraud or deception. Uh, we, we don't do it, uh, I, I know I read the book of Nehemiah, and when they were charging exorbitant interest, for example, Nehemiah just really lit into him, and he said, you're not doing the right thing for your brothers. This isn't, this isn't the spirit that the, that the Lord wants us to have, is charging exorbitant interest. And there's a number of areas in this area that, that are not God's way. So he's saying the way that we earn this is ethically. You know, I, I use the illustration, you know, sometimes you go to, go to a Home Depot and you walk out and all of a sudden you realize they forgot to charge you for a $30 hammer. You don't look up and say, oh, thank you, God, what a blessing. <laughs> you know? You, you should have a little alarm bell that goes off inside and says, this isn't right. And, uh, you know, if, if you get all the way home and don't discover it until then, you, you make it right as soon as you possibly can. And I hope that that's the way we conduct ourselves. We want to do it the right way, and we want to glean whatever we get uh, the right way that God, God has for us. Look at the scripture there in Proverbs 10. He says, the wages of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. 
And again, that word righteous means doing it the right way. So, um, so a good principle there. Here's the second one. Save it consistently. Save it consistently. Again, Proverbs 13. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Um, as I looked at, at this, and I thought about some of the themes we've talked about. You know, two weeks ago I talked to you about bondage. The B stood for bondage. Uh, if, you, if a recap, if you haven't been here all the weeks, the ABC stood for the attitude that we bring to the Lord is he is sovereign God, he owns it all, he orchestrates everything, and I'm going to adjust to his ways. That was our first week. The second week was the B. It stood for bondage. And we, we dug down pretty deep into how do we get into that slavery, what Scripture calls slavery. When you've, uh, when you've borrowed to the point where you don't have identified the way to pay that back, you're kind of a slave to the one who has lent. And how do we get, get out of that? We, we gave some very practical ways in which we can conduct ourselves to not be in that kind of a condition. And so... Um, so Scott talked last week about our choices and how those choices make a difference. And the biggest choice of all is to put God first. Before anything else, we put God first when it comes to our financial life. We do that by setting aside a first proportion of what he's given, and we honor him with that and say, Lord, I'm, I'm a steward of yours. I'm going to take care of the rest. So, so as we've looked at these, these principles, here's one of the battle zones that's probably gone in some of our hearts is this spirit in, in the flesh that says, I want it, and I want it now. We use the word instant gratification to describe kind of our society, isn't it? And, and they want you to buy this, and they're going to try to sell you on this, and you've got to have this, and they're going to make it as easy as possible for you to get this now. And usually what that means is you go into debt in order to get that. Now think about that. Does that spirit not go contradictory to this, what we're talking about, which is to set aside a portion, to save consistently? I remember very clearly when Annette and I stepped into our first ministry position in, in Muskogee, Oklahoma. We were youth pastors. And uh, our daughter, Abby, our, uh, our oldest now, but she was uh, our only then, and she was two years old. And um, I was just out of seminary, uh, you know, we were just getting a minimal amount to step into this new position. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a lot of margin uh, to work with. I know it, I remember clearly what that was, that was like, how it felt. And the pastor that I was working with, uh, his name was Denton. Denton had come out of the marketplace. He was the CFO of Corningware Glass uh, there in Muskogee. And he had left that position later in life and took this position as a pastor. And it was kind of like a, a, a second chapter of his life, and he was committed. And, and so you can well aware, be well aware that a, a CFO, he's got a lot of financial thoughts and ideas. And, and he was impressing upon me the, the importance as a young man to start putting away. He says, because the day will come, you know, that uh, you want to save and, and you want to be prepared. And you just never know what you're going to need. And I tell you, that was hard because there was no margin to work with. But I can tell you now, well, how many years would this be? 30 plus years later, I'm glad that I, I disciplined, we disciplined ourselves to do that because that day does eventually come. You don't think about it back then, but I mean, just do the math. 20 bucks a week, for example, at 5% interest compounded, if you save 20 bucks a week 
over a 30-year period of time, that would translate to over $70,000, okay? Just little by little by little. This weekend's about decisions. And friends, I said this two weeks ago. It's not the big things. It's not the cars. It's not the houses. It's not the big things, the decision. It's going to be those little decisions to do just a little here or a little here. Say no here. Say no there. It's those little things that are going to compound and add up. And I think that that's what Solomon is trying to say here. He says little by little uh, it will increase. I find this interesting. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Now, I didn't list this in the last point, but I don't know how you feel about this. I just find this timing interesting that this week, I think it was either the biggest or the second biggest lottery jackpot that was ever, and I don't even know enough about the lottery to know if we can do that here in Washington. Can we get lottery tickets, that big one here? Uh, okay, you, you would know better than I would. <clears throat> I didn't hear any individuals or any one and a half billion dollars, and, and I think most of you know enough, I do know enough about it, that you usually have an option of whether you can spread it out over 30 years or whatever, or if you get it all in a lump sum, and what do most people do? They want it all now. Are you, are you not kind of amazed that there are so many story after story of people who got all this windfall, and then you look three, four, five years down the road, not only have they lost everything, <laughs> But now they're in debt beyond what they can pay. Isn't it interesting? That, that scripture is true. When you get things like that in this windfall, sometimes you think, where did it go? Where did it go? And yet the spirit he's trying to cultivate here is to set a little bit of aside, to set it aside and, and, uh, and just practice that. So it's wisdom, okay? Uh, the third one is spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. We've tried to give you guys uh, some tools during this series. One of those was this workbook. I don't know how many of you took advantage of this. I think, I think they're all gone. There might be a few left if you didn't get a chance. But what, uh, what Barry and his team kind of helped us to just walk through is, is how to apply these biblical principles to our financial life. A lot of it has to do with what we call budgeting, of, of just setting some parameters and saying this is how we're going to uh, direct what God entrusts us with. Uh, you can check afterward and see if there's any left if you didn't get a chance. But, uh, but we, want, we want to just use wisdom when it comes to spending. I probably don't say enough about this. Uh, we often, when we talk about tithing and putting the Lord first and things like that, we, we give the, the, the promises, which are very scriptural, that God's going to pour out blessing. But sometimes the way that blessing comes is in ways that are unexpected. One of the things that Malachi 3 implies is, is that when you honor God with your first fruit, that he's going to protect your crops. Now, we're not in an agronomy society, so when he says that, he's just saying the income that you get, the resources, there's certain things he's going to help to make last longer. He's going to help prevent the, the, the things that, that rob you of that. But again, what my experience is, is God through his spirit gives you wisdom in how you spend what you have, and you don't do it as foolishly. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And one of the ways God works is when you're trusting him, there's some, something that he instills in us that gives us the ability to say no when we should say no. 
and not just go with our flesh or go with our, our pure desires. And I gotta have it, I gotta have it now. So he gives us wisdom in how to spend that. I intended uh, all along, and, and I wanted to do this this morning because we don't talk that much about it here at North Shore. You don't get little uh, you know, box scores in your worship folders and all that about our finances. Uh, so we don't do it that often. And by the way, if you're a guest with us this weekend, you just got lucky, all right? Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is kind of family business, I understand that, but yet it probably gives you a window in a very important aspect of our life together. And when you honor the Lord, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, with, with your tithe, that comes to the storehouse, which is the, your church that you derive your nurture from, and you need to know that there are servants that are serving you faithfully. Uh, we have elders. We have a subcommittee of the elders called our finance committee. These are gifted people uh, who, uh, who prayerfully consider in how we're going to distribute what God has entrusted and to do it responsibly, to do it with accountability. You may not know this, but we're audited every year by an outside source. There's accountability. And I wanted you to visually see of how that's distributed. The, the dollars that you bring to North Shore, we distribute them according to this proportion. Our adult ministries, which includes all of our teaching, all our discipleship, uh, what you're seeing right now as far as our public teaching, all of these things fall under what we call our adult ministries. That's 31%. The next generation is from our young adults on down to our infants. Everything included from that age range. All of our children's ministries, our student ministries that are being conducted, young adults, all that is under that. The worship kind of speaks for itself and, and providing uh, that experience, not only on the weekend, but in some other venues. And then North Shore practices what we're encouraging you to do, which is tithe. Every dollar that we get, at least a tenth of that is going to go to some outside source beyond our own, own, own ministry. So partners we talk about, uh, ministries, missions, uh, things like the, the, the gospel mission here in Everett, uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, you know, other local ministries, and international ministries. Those are all kind of encompassed. You can see with our benevolence attached to that, 13% of everything we do goes toward that. The mortgage uh, is right around 10%. And some of you here today would not appreciate this. We, we enjoy unbelievable facilities. We are blessed with property, very valuable property, very amazing facilities that God uses seven days a week uh, here uh, with our academy, with our church, with everything that we do. When I came almost 15 years ago, the mortgage was right around $15 million, maybe closer to 16. And, and there had never really been a challenge to the, to the church about addressing that. We basically borrowed to, to do everything we were doing. And it took uh, an extra special sacrificial giving over a three-year period of time. We called that season Moving Mountains. And during that time, the congregation committed over $5 million to reduce that debt because we believed that this, this, we needed to do that, to, to honor God. And they, they sacrificially gave. Now that's a little, I believe, a little under $8 million. Was it still a lot? But it's, it's not uh, near where it was at. The interest then was 7.2%. And because of the faithfulness of the church uh, and because of bringing this down and the ratio is different, now uh, that was brought down to right around 4%, something like that. So that's why now in reflecting in our church budget and the, the academy significantly contributes to, you know, toward uh, those funds, okay? They have a whole separate budget. They're still under our, our leadership, our eldership. They've got their own board, but uh, this is the church budget. 
so I just wanted you to see some of these numbers. The capital improvements represent 3%. So this is by faith. That number at the bottom is a, a faith number. And our servants that are putting this together saying, this is what we feel God's calling us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you this out loud. You can do ministry without money. Okay? You can do it. You can share Christ. You can witness. You can testify. You can teach. You can do all those things without money. But you can't do ministry without people. And that's why people are our greatest asset and where our greatest investment is with those dollars that are entrusted. Okay? So when we think of people, our church personnel, this is how it's divided up. And when we talk about our general administration, this is kind of operations. And those costs distributed on the previous slide are all kind of distributed proportionately over those areas. Okay? And... Most churches, just as you want to do a comparison, most churches will average somewhere between 55 and 60% of their budget goes toward personnel. And we're roughly in that, that area. But this is a faith budget. So we're doing some of these things, trusting God and believing God. And all we do here at North Shore, and all we've ever done, is to do just what we're doing right now, which is teach what God's Word says and trust that you're going to hear this, that you're going to believe and trust God, and that you're going to honor him in the way that he's prescribed. That's all we do. We have never, we're, we're going to be uh, in a few minutes talking you through a commitment card. We've never done anything like that ever since we went back to the moving mountains for three years because we just needed some anticipation of what to expect uh, ahead. But we typically don't do that. I think there's power in commitment, um, but, uh, but the, the, the truth is that we do this by faith, and if the, those dollars don't come in, then we have to make those adjustments. And we're going to do our best in light of this principle right here it's to, to spend wisely. We're going to dial back, and we have to cut back, and we have to exercise that, just like you have to do in your own family budget. We, we exercise that. Because a great portion of that is personnel, you can see proportionately you, you know, how, how this impacts our whole deal. And um, so uh, if... If all of us do this together, this is what I'm confident of. And I've given you numbers, and I don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds. But if all of us will do this together and say, if this is my church home, this is what God is calling me to do, we are going to not only have enough, but we are going to have even more than enough so that we can be generous to the needs that come around. For example, the church in Scotland that has an opportunity with a couple of buildings that is absolutely amazing. I would love to participate with that and come alongside Brian and Kelly and, and to be able to contribute to that. And if we do what, what God's instructing us, we're going to have more than enough, okay? That's how it looks. And I want to say thank you out loud to those servants that are on those teams and that have their eyes and they spend many, many hours uh, in that dimension of our church life. Thank you for your faithfulness in that. So, um, so spend it wisely. We try to practice that here at North Shore. The fourth point, uh, we've talked a lot, uh, but we tithe willingly. And again, if, you, if you've missed out on this and you're, you still have questions, there's always questions surrounding that, that subject. Uh, tithe simply means tenth. That's what it, that means, the word. Uh, it means putting aside the first tenth before anything else, and you give that to the Lord. Uh, some say, well, isn't that an Old Testament law or principle? It is transcovenant. Meaning, this goes all the way back to the patriarchs, before the law, okay? It goes, Abraham uh, said that when he uh, got the victory, he went to Melchizedek, the priest, and he gave him a tithe. 
We believe that that was actually an incarnate visit of Jesus. I mean, that Melchizedek, this mysterious figure, it was actually, we believe it was the Lord. And he honored God, honored the Lord by giving that tenth. Moses put it in his law. Uh, Jesus talked about it in the New Testament, and he, he acknowledged it, and he encouraged that. And so it's all throughout uh, Scripture. We believe that the tithe goes to the storehouse, and so sometimes people, I'll hear somebody say, well, I'm going to give my tithe to, to this uh, ministry, or I feel, I feel compelled to give it to this special project. Uh, technically, we don't teach that, 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 that the tithe is something that you direct one way or the other. There's only one place it goes, and that's a storehouse, to kind of release it and let the other servants be able to disturb it, uh, distribute it, like we described earlier. Now, the latter thing that we just described is what we call an offering. So often we'll use those together, a tithe and an offering. And an offering is a very important part of your, your Christian life, your discipline. And that's the fifth area, and that is to give generously. All right? To give generously. It's the heart of God. And he, he gives us his promise in um, uh, Proverbs 11. He says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Interesting principle. You can't outgive the Lord, would you agree? You know, I heard somebody say once, uh, you know, when it comes to giving, some will stop at nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and that's unfortunately the truth for some, okay? They stop at nothing. And, and yet God has made it so clear that if you give, it will be given back. You don't do it for that reason. But he's just saying, you, you, he goes, you do that, and he says, it's a reflection of my heart, and, and it just brings such joy to his heart. Going back to the previous point, you know, we don't teach about a legalistic type of giving, about tithing. We teach that it is done cheerfully, it is done willingly, uh, it, is, it is not done under compulsion. That's, that's what Paul talked about to the Corinthians. Don't do it just under compulsion, but do it because it's just outflow of your heart of wanting to obey what the Lord has, okay? Um, we, we've just got so many opportunities here at North Shore, not only to sustain the, the ministry that he's called us to here, but even uh, other opportunities uh, for giving. Especially this time of the year, you're going to see some, um, some opportunities, you know, Thanksgiving, that we're going to pull together baskets to help those that are in need. We're going to talk about another one in just a moment. But, uh, but all of this, this season, this month, ABC's of Financial Freedom, my prayer has been... First of all, that many will come to a new, healthy understanding of God's sovereignty in your life, that he is the one that's in control. That's where it all starts. I also prayed that folks that found themselves in a place of bondage and that you were honest with yourself and maybe within your family, that you've taken some, some active, tangible steps to begin to reduce that and eventually get out of that altogether. I've heard numerous testimonies already, and that just blesses my heart that you're taking those steps. And uh, just say it again, we've got um, some folks that are gifted in this area that will help come alongside. If you let us know, we'll line you up with some of these folks, especially from Dave Ramsey's ministry, the University of Financial uh, Freedom, I believe it is, and they're, they're trained and they'll, they'll walk you through some of these things. Um, so that's been a, been a prayer of mine. Um, I do believe that there's power in commitment. And what we did today is to offer, and we gave you uh, a communication or a card that is in your uh, folders uh, as you walked in. 
So if you go ahead and pull that out, I want to just explain this to you, what, what we're going to do with this. There, there are several options on here, and this may describe where you're at. And this is a decision day. This is a time, and if you see it on your last point, it simply is this. It is to, is to trust God and decide to follow his plan and enjoy the blessings that come from obedience. That's it. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to step in toward his plan. What does that mean for us? The options on here, let me just walk you through these. This, this card is going to be a commitment card that we can, as leadership, somehow anticipate or, or guide us in our decision-making in the coming year. Our fiscal year starts July 1st. Okay, so when I say the, the uh, 18, 19 stewardship uh, commitment, it's probably through this season up into the middle of next summer, okay? I want to start with a second point. Some of you uh, may be at the place where you're ready to take that challenge to begin to tithe. For you, it may be the first time you've done this. And I just know that a blessing is awaiting you. That's all I can say. Uh, you're, you're ready to take that. Some of you have already begun that this month. And uh, maybe you're already beginning to see uh, some indications of that. Uh, for some of you, uh, your, your indication is going to be you're going to continue to tithe. You've been doing that, and that's what God's instructed you to continue to do, and that's as far as he's taken you at this point. And that, that's a place to indicate that. There's another box there that says, in faith, I'm going to begin to give above my tithe to my church. Uh, this is, by, by, by the way, where Annette and I are at. Uh, you know, we... We have tried to be open always to where God wants to direct the funds that he entrusts us to personally, but we're going to take another step proportionately uh, beyond the tithe and into new territory that we've never been before, uh, you know, and whatever that might look like, uh, th that would be an indication there. I had a brother two weeks ago when I was out in the lobby, and he said, you know, already his wife and I have been praying about this and that we're being called to double our tithe, and, and that's the next step that, for us, what it looks like. And so you may be talking to the Lord about that. There's also a place where if, if God has blessed you unusually, maybe with, with some windfall or you know, sold some property or whatever, uh, and you feel like, you know what? I want to honor the Lord with a special gift. Uh, in, and there's an amount there that that would be so encouraging, uh, not only you know, just for the sustaining of the ministry, but even for some of these opportunities that we're talking about these days of what we might be a part of, and if you felt led there. Now, I saved the first one. By the way, if you didn't get a card uh, on the way in, I got some ushers that, uh, I should have done this first, I apologize, but if you uh, need one of these, they'll, they'll put one in your hand. Uh, this first one, I want you to hear my heart on this. Uh, a lot of churches will take a big offering, and they'll celebrate, and woohoo, and they'll move right on, this isn't one of those times. This is why we spent four weeks. This is more about a change of lifestyle. And it takes time for us to prayerfully consider, to, to allow the Lord to saturate us, to, to allow it to sink deep, and for some changes, some real change to happen. I'm not so much interested about one big offering, although that's exciting, it's encouraging, it's great celebration. We're more interested in, in a change of lifestyle. And for you... A tithe or a tenth might realistically be uh, too big of, of something to just immediately walk into. Here's, I wanted to give you an opportunity to at least begin systematic giving. If there was a percentage that you feel like it was a step of faith, but it was going to be responsible, 
that you could put down and begin to do that on a regular basis. Okay? Maybe it's 2%. Maybe it's 4 or 5. Maybe it's 8. Uh, but you were ready to take a step proportionately, systematically. Again, there's a biblical principle here in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 where Paul talks about this. He says, set aside a certain portion each week because it's an act of worship. And maybe that's a number that, uh, that you could pray about. You may not be ready to make that decision today. I understand that. Uh, some of the families that are here, you need to talk about it. Maybe your spouse isn't with you, and this is something you need, and I would encourage you to talk about it. But maybe you've already thought about that, and if you're prepared to express that through this, this will go, uh, our ushers are going to be at the door at the end of the service. Uh, they'll have bags, so you can put them in there. You know, nobody's going to see that. It's just like your regular gifts. They'll go there. They'll go through our, uh, our regular business department like our gifts do. None of us see the, the specifics there. But there is a little tear-off here that I, I would encourage you to write down what your commitment was and put it someplace where you'll see that. Your Bible, your devotional book, or whatever you do, just look at it regularly. And I want to say, too, if a lot of our folks I know watch online, and this weekend they may, you may be watching online, you can participate. This same card, if you didn't get one physically, if you'll look at our church app, there's a bar there that says ABCs of Financial Freedom. It's got the same information and the same ability to respond also on our website. So if you want to do this online, maybe you get home and you forget and you want to still participate and you didn't have your card, you could participate that way. All right? That's what we're going to do. We're, you know, I, I just appreciate you guys, your encouragement so much. We're all in this together. We, we do this together. We trust God together. And I just am anticipating God's going to do some amazing things through you, through the church. And I, um, I ran across someone a few weeks ago that uh, it was during the time of the Frank, Franklin Graham crusade. You remember when that was coming, came to town? My brother-in-law works uh, with Franklin and He's, for years, because he knew we were participating in this, the uh, Operation Christmas Child, remember the shoeboxes. Uh, and if you're not familiar with them, uh, we've got them out in the lobby. And Ron was saying, you know, we need to, we need to set up a testimony, you know, and have you, have you come, have somebody come and share. And we just never did it. But uh, I met Nathan Jansen, who's a regional representative from Samaritan Purse. And we, uh, we finally made arrangements. I didn't know which weekend we were going to do, and it happened to fall on this weekend. I thought, wow, how appropriate. Because what you, I want you to hear a testimony of what your gift, a small gift, can do to impact a life. Friends, when we talk about giving to North Shore's ministry, it's because of lives that are changed and impacted. That's what it's all about. It's not about sustaining a building or an organization or people even. It's, it's about what God does in people's hearts. And I thought, what better testimony than what my, my, my brother-in-law Ron calls a full circle testimony of somebody that was impacted by one of these boxes that we have the opportunity to participate in. So I uh, invited Nathan uh, Jansen to come and share, and, he, and he's going to introduce you to a special guest to share one of those testimonies. So let's welcome Nathan as he comes this morning. Thank you. Thanks so much, Pastor Ken. Appreciate it. Uh, wow, well, it's, a, it's a great honor for me to be here um, today. Again, my name is Nathan. I'm the Northwest Regional Director for Samaritan's Purse and uh, have the privilege of helping to oversee Operation Christmas Child. And uh, the Northwest region encompasses five states, which is Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Washington, and Oregon. And uh, we do that all from Tacoma, 
right down the street here. And uh, I just have a question for you all today. How many of you have packed uh, one of these shoebox gifts? Could you raise your hand? Awesome. Hey, I, I just want to say thank you uh, for your amazing partnership in the gospel and share with you a little bit about why uh, that is so powerful, um, packing a shoebox gift. Uh, the ministry started in 1993, and since that time, uh, we've packed 157 million of these shoebox gifts and uh, distributed them to over 160 countries around the world. And uh, we look at these shoeboxes not as just a gift that we give to a child, but we call these gospel opportunities. These are opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with children who may have never uh, heard the gospel before. And if, if I were to ask this room how many of you came to Christ before the age of 15, about 80% of you would raise your hands. And uh, that's the same way around the world. Children are receptive to the good news. And I'm one of those that came to Christ as a, as a child, and I'm so grateful for it. And uh, as we uh, just give these gifts, I just invite you to pray for us. We have, we have a goal this year in the Northwest region of... Uh, of packing 320,000 shoeboxes, which, uh, which means if you filled up CenturyLink Field, and I hear the Seahawks are playing right now, they're winning, by the way, so you're welcome. Yeah, uh, if you were to fill up CenturyLink Field uh, four and a half times, there's 70,000 people can fit in CenturyLink Field, that's how many shoebox gifts we're hoping to pack just from the Northwest region this year. Would you pray with us that God would provide those? I mean, what an amazing opportunity to share the gospel with that many children around the world just this year. And uh, I know you guys uh, last year packed over 400 gifts from this church. I know that that's amazing, and we're so grateful for that. You guys can do a lot more. Last week, I was in a church in, uh, in Oregon, 25 people in the church. They packed 1,000 shoeboxes. And uh, they're making a huge impact on the kingdom of God uh, just from that little tiny congregation. Uh, so I just challenge you to, to just pray about it, seek the Lord, and, uh, and pack a shoebox uh, and share the good news with a child who's never heard it before. And uh, it's my privilege right now to be able to introduce you uh, to one of the recipients, uh, one of those 157 million children. Her name is Alina Isena. Would you welcome her as she shares her story about receiving a gift? Good morning, church. My name is Alina, and I am so thankful to be here this morning with you. Um, I stand before you, and it's just an honor to stand before you as one of the 157 million children who not only got to receive an Operation Christmas Child shoebox, but got to hear the gospel through this ministry. In the year of 1993, missionaries from Indiana felt a strong call that God was calling them to move to a country in Central Asia that is restricted to the gospel. And so they said yes, and they left behind their known and their comfort, and they moved to Central Asia. They planted a church and started proclaiming the gospel. And among the people that they reached out to, my mother, and it was her very first time that she heard of the name of Jesus, and she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. And four years later, I was born into this world, and about a month after my birth, my mother was faced with the hardest decision of her life. And this was given to her by my dad, who basically said, it's either going to be me or Jesus. And this was a crucial turning point in her life, and she chose Christ. And because of that, she lost wealth, she lost a husband and a children, and a, and a father to raise her children. Yet, she gained Jesus, and I had the absolute privilege to be raised by the strongest woman of God. I grew up in Central Asia, and we were very poor. My mother, even though she worked tirelessly and we barely even saw her, she only earned about $50 a month. 
which wasn't even enough to cover for our rent. And because of that, we often lacked basic necessities like hot running water, electricity, and often food. And even though there were many nights where I went to bed so hungry, it was because of that lack that as a child, I got to see Jesus move in miraculous ways. I got to see him provide in times that we didn't think we were gonna make it, but he always came through. Seeing my mom, seeing her faith, seeing the way Jesus would always come and care for us, I realized that I needed to make the decision to accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I did. I knew that God was real, but I also knew that I needed him, and I made that decision knowing what I was doing. But as a child, little did I know what it cost to follow the Lord. Because I was growing up in a country that is closed off to the gospel, there's consequences to not only believing in Jesus, but proclaiming the name of Jesus. Consequences like the pastor of your church being arrested and later deported out of the country, your extended family wanting nothing to do with you because Muslims do not associate themselves with Christians, my mother hearing that if she doesn't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus, one day she will come to her apartment and find both of her daughters dead, and later having to move out of that city for our own safety. My teachers at school who would not only yell at me, but who would often hit me, and probably the most painful one for me was my own father. My earliest memory of him is of him standing over my sister and beating her. And my response was to run, and I ran out the door till I couldn't run anymore. He would yell at us for believing in God. He would mock us for living in such severe poverty when we believed in a God who provided. The man who was supposed to be my hero, my first love, and even my safety was a man that I feared the most, and to me, he was a monster. And I looked around at my life, and I saw destruction, I saw abuse, and I saw evil, and I asked, where are you, God? But most importantly, I asked, was I significant enough for him to even see me? But the reality is that God wasn't up there watching me live. But his heart broke with mine, and not only that, but as I cried, he did as well because he is a father who runs after that one sheep. God saw that I had a need, a need to know who, him for who he truly is. And in his miraculous and compassionate ways, he decided to answer the cries of my heart in prayers that I wasn't even praying in the most unique way that honestly I could possibly think of. When I was five years old, my family and I got invited to come to this church and as I walked in, I saw faces of children and parents just packed in that tiny little room. We had a time of worship, and the pastor took the time later to, to just reveal the gospel, to share about Jesus to the parents and the families there. And afterwards, all the children were invited to come up to the front of the room. And the pastor looked at us, and he said these words I will never forget. He said, kids, the greatest gift you will ever receive in this life was already given to you by God. And that's his son, Jesus. That's a choice that you have to make. And then every single child that was up there was handed a shoebox. And my shoebox came wrapped in this wrapping paper. It was purple and pink Disney princess uh, wrapping paper. And as I held onto that box, I grasped onto the love of God. I opened it and I took a big whiff. And to my amazement, I realized that everything in this box was new. 
And prior to that day, I never had anything that was new. I never even had anything that was mine. And my favorite item in that shoebox was a picture of this little girl who was wearing a crown that matched the shoes she put in my box. And I remember asking, why would somebody do that? We were explained that there's people overseas who love God so much that they want you to know that that same God cares for your heart. And I realized what Jesus has done for me years ago on the cross. I realized that God just placed a miracle into my hands, but most importantly, I realized who I am to God. That's Romans 8, 15 through 16 that says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, his daughter. And I began to take on that identity. As I walked out that door with a shoebox, did my life circumstances miraculously change like this? No, it doesn't work like that. And, and maybe it's not supposed to. Because John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus never promised me an easy life, but he promises me a great life with him, and that he will never leave me or forsake me. And to me, that is what allowed me to go on. And that is what changed my heart. Somebody living miles and miles away. This year, we are praying for 11 million children to get to hear of the gospel through the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. And one of my favorite parts of this ministry is the greatest journey. It's a 12-week discipleship program that the kids, after receiving the shoebox, are invited to come and be a part of. They learn about Jesus. They learn how to share the gospel. And at the end, they receive a New Testament in their own language. The word of God is being spread to all the ends of the earth. And, and you and I, we get to be a part of that, and that is something that is great. Every 24 hours, I want you to think about this, every 24 hours, 30,000 children get to hear of Jesus through the greatest journey. In Acts 20, 35, Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive, and do you believe that? Today, I wanna leave you with two challenges. Number one, I challenge you to stop looking at these boxes as just cardboard boxes, but start looking at them as children, as lives that God himself knows by name because that is what's gonna make all the difference. And number two, the most important thing you can do happens actually after you drop off your shoebox, and that's prayer. Pray for the child who received the shoebox. Pray for the pastors. Pray for the greatest journey teachers and the journey that the shoebox is going to make into a child's hand who is going to hear of the greatest news of all, and that's Jesus. Shoeboxes are a way for us to introduce children around the world to Christ, but we get to take it a step further through the greatest journey, where children get to learn how to walk with Jesus, which leads to discipleship, evangelism, and ultimately multiplication. Thank you, and may God bless you. Wow, is that amazing? Your gift matters, and boy, there's proof. There's living proof. The boxes are out in the lobby. You can see from, uh, from the slide that, uh, that we're gonna collect them on November the 16th. Uh, I know our, our life group uh, is gonna participate, and uh, even individually, uh, there's just great opportunity to, to bless some lives that are out there. This is one of the many opportunities uh, that we have here at North Shore to, 
to bless our community. I know at Thanksgiving we're going to be preparing boxes of, of food for those that, that uh, could need. If you're aware of people that, uh, that might be blessed by that, maybe a neighbor or somebody that you're aware of, uh, let us know who they are, okay? Because I have a feeling that we're going to have a lot of folks responding to that. You can see that out in the lobby as well. So we're just going to trust God with, uh, with his word and walking in step with what he's prescribed for us to do. Uh, listen to his heart, and uh, if you feel so inclined, uh, we would love to hear from you through the commitment card that you received, and uh, that'll help us as leadership to anticipate uh, what's ahead and make wise decisions as we move together as a church. Amen? We're going to stand together. I'm going to go ahead and pray over us, and then we'll be dismissed. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. We're going to start a new series next week on glorifying God through our work, uh, and that, that covers all the bases, and I'm kind of excited about this. This is new territory uh, as far as my teaching is concerned, so hopefully you'll be praying about that with us and uh, be back uh, next week to enjoy that. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you uh, so much for the opportunity that we have to serve you, uh, the, 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 to be part of the ministry, part of the kingdom. God, even stories like the one we've just heard uh, makes us realize that you are the God of the whole earth. And there is not a, there is not a corner, there is not a, a place where you don't see and you don't feel and you don't hurt and burden over. And Lord, you choose us to be uh, the ones, your arms, your feet, your eyes, your ears, uh, to minister in those situations. So, God, all we can do is present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. We hope, Lord, that our hearts are ones that are aligned with you, your plans, your ways. I pray for the courage, pray for the faith as we make adjustments. And for some of us, that's going to be a huge, huge step, a huge challenge. But I'm convinced, God, based on your word and your promise, uh, that, that you're going to meet us there and you're going to reveal yourself perhaps in ways that we've never seen before. So I'm just trusting you with all of this. God, trust our ministry here at North Shore into your hands. Give us wisdom, Lord, as, as we just guide the steps in the months and the, uh, the, the years even in front. Uh, a lot of things ahead of us, Lord, and we just depend upon you. You are our sovereign God and we love you with all of our heart and we want to serve you. So uh, we commit these things to you today. Pray your blessing over each one as we continue to walk in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Blessings to you guys. Have a great day today. We'll see you next week. Waves of fear, collapse your command.